You gotta wash your ass. <laughs> Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's one fucking hour time. I, of course, am your host, uh, Evan Husney, and this is the show where we talk about one goddamn movie, and we have just one fucking hour to do it, and it's uh, episode 89 time, and uh, I'm here with, uh, to my left, we got Mr. Tom Fitzgerald. What's going on, Tom? Autumn's up. (laughs) Ooh, kombucha Tom today? Is that what we got? That's right. (laughs) All right, ah, right. <laughs> there Cheers. we go. All right, and our other co-host with the mostest here on the right, we got uh, uh, as per usual here, Mr. Marcus Herring. What's going on, Marcus? What's up? We, yes, we are now sponsored by Kombucha. So yeah, that's right. Great. <laughs> so uh, yeah, just put in your order co- code. Total one coincidence. Hour I'm drinking kombucha dot com. Yeah, com- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, th- I mean, if we were you know doing product placement, that'd be really sad. Yeah, <laughs> that's a perfect shot right there. All right, screenshot that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right, right, right. All right, and we have finally on the program, uh, long awaited, long rumored, long teased um, mm. special guest here. Uh, he's made an appearance briefly on the Patreon uh, for our most recent bonus episode, but he's here on the main program, making his big first appearance debut. And of course, we're talking about David Chen. Welcome to the show, David. What's going on, man? Reporting for duty. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Here we David go. David Chen, one of the good guys, dude. Everybody, this is very fun, and it's, it's about damn time. It is. It, it's. It is about damn time. So not since the things commentary have we uh, oh. congregated, <laughs> dude. Right. Dude, yeah. Shout out to our episode in the archives on things. The Canadian shot on Super Eight crazy movie from 1989 but when i released that movie on dvd many moons ago uh tom and david chen <laughs> did the commentary <laughs> to the movie uh to a movie which they had never seen before which is a kind of oh. a unique uh approach to a commentary track but it worked out very well so thank you and guys it was like for... three in the morning it was, it was <laughs> a classic moment. it's so good it's it's really it great really it's classic. a it's a really fun yeah. time so all right so what are we talking about tonight of course i mentioned it's episode 89 and we are getting into, well, this whole month, we are covering uh, films from 1999. And uh, this is the second bite at that apple. We'll be talking about apples later. Um, this is Alexander Payne's election. All right. So one fucking hour on election, of course, from 99. Uh, but before we get into that, just a quick little bit of business, a quick shout out to the one fucking hour Patreon. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Patreon.com slash one fucking hour is where you can sign up. It's just five bucks a month to become a moment over there on Patreon, or you can, you can sign up for 10 bucks a month and you can get the double moment with cheese if you want. Uh, you can pick your patronage, uh, same benefits. But basically what we have going on there is we're doing bonus episodes and we're going to be actually recording soon our next bonus episode, which is just sort of a free form us one fucking hour talking about the year of 1999 in film. We're just going to be rapid firing all the movies that we love, hate, and otherwise on there. So that'll be the only place to see that. And of course, we've been uh, dropping audio commentary tracks, feature length audio commentaries. That's the only place to get those. So you can either head over to the Patreon or you can scroll under this video if you're watching on YouTube, click the join button, same price, same perk, same shit. 
that's where you get all that stuff. So um, appreciate all you guys who signed up thus far. We have a whole host of new members. Pretty sweet. New moments. Kicking it off here. So we appreciate that. So welcome. Yeah. So all right. So I, I'm ready just to get this show on the road. I'm, I've been I'm chomping at the bit to talk about this all week because I recently rewatched it and it kills still to this day. Very mm -hmm. excited to talk about it to get into it. Are you guys ready? Should we start the fucking clock? Yeah, Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Okay. So um, let me I'm in hotel mode right now, everybody. So things are a little janky. I'm in Denver right Fancy. now. So I'm in hotel mode. Things to do in Denver. <laughs> There's not your, much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is that from 1999? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Let's start the clock. Here we go. All right. Boom. All right. Uh, let's kick this off, of course, with a synopsis. And, you know, hey, man, shout out, you know, David and I, when we met, you know, whatever it is, fucking 20 years ago, whatever it is now, when we first met, David and I were obsessed with the Criterion Collection. You know, we were going to, we, we were, all, that's, that, that's how we bonded, was around our love of Criterion DVDs. Probably sub number 75. That's how far back we go, probably. We're probably like 75ers when we met, you know? Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. More manageable. We were, we were already well-established friends when like the blowout cover uh, dropped and we oh, were like that was at a theater weird. lobby. Oh, dude, we were <laughs> we were cry crazy. So, all right. So uh, this, of course, is the synopsis for election taken from the recently released Criterion uh, release of it. So here we go. All right. Perky, overachieving high schooler Tracy Flick, of course, played by Reese Witherspoon, gets on the nerves of social studies teacher Jim McAllister, Matthew Broderick. To begin with, but after she launches her campaign for student body president and his personal life starts to fall apart, things spiral out of control. In Alexander Payne's satire, Election, the teacher becomes unhealthily obsessed with cutting his student down to size, covertly backing a spoiler candidate to stop her from steamrolling to victory, and putting in motion a series of dirty tricks and reckless promises with uncanny real-world political parallels. Um, adapting a, a then-unpublished novel by Tom... What is it? Tom Parada? David? Parada? Yeah, Tom Parada. Payne grounds the absurdity of his central dynamic in the recognizable. The setting is his hometown, Omaha, Nebraska. And the accomplished cast is rounded out with non-professionals and distills his closely observed take on deeply flawed humanity to its bitter but stealthily sympathetic essence. So there you go. That is election. Um, but let's get into let's. I'm going to throw it right to you, David, as the guest. Um, you know, when I mentioned to you we, that we wanted to cover films from '99 on the show, and I was like, you can pick any movie from '99, and you're you can bring it on the show. And you picked this movie. So tell us a little bit about why Election was the choice. It was quite serendipitous because I think I had just rewatched it, the Criterion Blu-ray, uh, about a week before you brought up the, the 1999 idea for the month. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had actually been putting together a list of films to present to you guys as far as what we could go over. And Election was <laughs> was always floating around the top. Um the uh, I was able to see the movie when it first came out in theaters, thinking it was going to be like a studio Todd Solon's film. Uh, and in fact, at the time when I watched it in, I think, May of 99, I was uh, I think I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and I, I distinctly remember there weren't many people there for the Friday or Saturday afternoon show. Huh. And it uh, notably did not do very well in its initial run. But uh, and, and I think that we can get into that later. But, you know, it's an MTV films 
presentation yeah. and yeah. it's not at all what I think the MTV crowd was ready for in 1999. But um, I guess the core of it is election is, I think, unanimously considered uh, a good, if not great film. Mm-hmm. And uh, most people's takes are not wildly different from one another. And yet, rewatching it recently and thinking about our discussion today, uh, it occurred to me that I think there's a lot of uh, areas of election, even beyond Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor and the the author uh, Tom Parada, I, I don't think that they even realized what they were kind of tapping into with this story. Mm. And, and so it's a good example, as is the case with many films from 1999, where the greatness is kind of widely understood. But I don't know if a lot of those secondary or even like third level details of how the film functions um, have been adequately explored. Mm. It's a good choice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things, too, where it's like, you know, I hadn't revisited this movie in a long time, you know, probably over 10 years. And seeing it it again uh, for the first time in a long time, it was like, wow, this is really so well done. Great performances, the the natural sort of, you know, background actors who are the real students in the school and everything. There's this naturalism and authenticity to it and also just perfectly captures you know, that uh, these types of kind of, you know, lonely characters from that small, boring, small town life where, you know, they mostly find themselves getting into stupidity uh, just out of like, you know, these kind of stupid, weird situations based out of boredom, you know, dumb mistakes and choices. And I I love movies that were that used to be about that sort of thing, because you know, foibles and folly. Yeah, I think um, not to get totally sidetracked, but I think that actually it was very innovative then. But then it almost immediately got watered down, and it became um, like films that were like sub uh, the office. Like uh, like there was something called like Grand Rapids or something like that, with somebody from the office and like um, well that tone of like regular like the foibles of the regular person. Um, yeah, it it didn't have the bite uh, over the past ten or so years or fifteen years. Yeah, that this film does. And it then, has gotten mm-hmm. out there, uh, but it's. Um, it's not really as it's 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 it objectifies the average person. It's like well, a showbiz Hollywood version of it. Right. This is very he's coming from his own place, Alexander Payne. And then it's Marcus's like you know, Marcus's favorite movie, you know, fucking Napoleon Dynamite came in and just really hit <laughs> the hit the reset button. Finally delivered what everybody was <laughs> it, Yeah. Yeah. It no, came ch- and that, changed the whole landscape. And then we got funny, Juno yeah. and everything. And sorry, Marcus. Yeah. True. Yeah. So that, that yeah. whole sort of I think what Tom's tapping into is that sort of comedy of errors type thing, right? That's like that isn't really like an old form of story like it goes back to like Shakespeare right where it's oh, like yeah. just bad things happen it's we delight in watching one bad thing after another happen to a to a main character so yeah follow yeah. yeah it does seem like it has lost a little something it needs new it need, maybe it needs some new style injected in, into it or something to help resurrect it for well, it's it's super special, but Marcus, you, you sort of do. You, do you have like an origin story with this movie in terms of when you first saw it? Yeah, or this is a weird one for me because uh, you know, like sometimes like you don't want to know anything about a movie before you go see it, right? A lot of people are like that, and, and more often than not, in this day and age, I find myself reading the Wikipedia article before I watch the movie, right? Whoa! But um, <laughs> I do that. Uh, you know, no time to waste these days. But uh, this is one of the only movies I think where I actually read the screenplay before I watched the movie. Whoa. It's Whoa. very weird um, because my uncle, who was a director, 
gave me a subscription to that screenwriting magazine called Scenario. And the first issue was Election on the cover. Wow. And uh, so I had the entire screenplay in there. And then it had a, a long interview with uh, Payne and the co-writer Taylor. And um, and so I just, I really, you know, I just... I was at the right age to kind of like soak it all up, you know, and I don't even think it was released. You know, I was in Montana, so I don't think it was released in theaters there. So I had to wait until home video to see it. So a lot of it was just playing out in my head. Tracy Flick and like the guy washing his ass in the shower. Like I knew about that before I (laughs) before I uh, had a vision of what it looked like with uh, uh, Matthew Broderick washing his ass in the shower before (laughs) I even saw the movie. So, Um, but no, it was great to. uh, I didn't get to see it until yeah, it came out in VHS, and there was like the uh, that awesome poster, which is a really great poster too, where like uh, Tracy's got her mouth open and and Broderick's like inside there. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good visual. Um, Totally. So, uh, but it was nice to see this new Blu-ray transfer because I don't even, it never dawned on me that it was shot on film. You know, it was yeah. really interesting to see the film grain and love it. And just the, uh, cause it felt so fresh, new, it felt too new in 99, too fresh. And so to go back now, I can see the decades of, you know, of filmmaking that have passed and it has a, yeah. a charm, you know, uh, well, so it's, it's fun. Yeah, and just real quick, like I, uh, you know, like watching this movie again, and I also love Citizen Ruth too. I think that's a great movie as well. And, uh, you know, I love his sort of like, you know, Omaha exploitation, if you will, sort of look <laughs> at this sort of small town. Because to me, you know, I'm, I talk about being from Minnesota a lot on the show, and it's so similar. Like, I went to the high school that looks exactly the same to that high school. Mm-hmm. Even the, 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 the pizza chain that I went to, Godfather's Pizza is in the movie. Like, so, mu- so much of it to <laughs> me rings like my experience and, uh, you know, in the late 90s. But it's so great to see a movie with that film, 35 millimeter film grain you know, with mm-hmm. shots of like a guy throwing things out of a dirty refrigerator in a high school. Oh, it's just yeah. it's great. Fluorescent lighting. Yeah. For, yes, it's great. And I love how he leaned into all that. And it also kind of did feel like a little bit like a like a graphic novel from that era, too, if you guys know what I mean. Like with the stylized sequences that it sort of has too, a lot of different visual optic, you know, sort of optical gags and throughout the whole movie, too. Right. It just kind of felt like one of those kind of you know, towny Daniel Klaus ish sort of like, sure. You know, graphic well, and novels. Not, and, and, you know, soon after we had ghost world, which is, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the biggest Dan Klaus fan you probably ever know. And, uh, <laughs> I'm feeling iffy always about the film, uh, ghost world. Anyway. Sure. Sure. But I, the only thing I wanted to bring up was, um, rewatching it yesterday. Yeah. I was reminded of this giddy joy that I would have because as the years went on in this 98 to 2002 ish period, um, it was becoming commonplace, and I was really expecting films to have, I, I don't know how to put it quite, but I just caught like a surprising stylistic pop here and there, flourishes. Yep. And in this film, for example, what I'm saying is um, it cuts to um, like, a, like a narration monologue with, a mon- with an accompanying montage of like uh, Tracy Flick and like, like her accomplishments. And it's like, <laughs> uh, like a jazzy, uh, you know, montage of um, with the graphics of her. Yeah. yeah, her newspaper uh, clippings and uh, you know yearbook and stuff like that, and that was not like wild. It was it was common because um, you know uh, Fight Club would do that, yep. and then um, uh, adaptations another good example where it's sure. like I'm watching a movie, a narrative, its characters, its people, its dialogue, and then suddenly you're looking at like the birth of civilization, <laughs> and so um, all I'm saying is I I simply miss it because something yeah. happened here, and we're, this is maybe a reoccurring theme, but like. Right around like 
like fucking Little Miss Sunshine or something. This kind of middle brow, yeah. wa- milk toast, watered down naturalism came in and then like movie stars started playing like truck stop waitresses <laughs> you know like you know yeah. jennifer aniston like you know on her yeah. third shift you know like on smoke break yeah. and i'm just like I, I really hate indies you know yeah from the last 20 years yeah because because one of the big things that was just choked out was that great giddy surprise or one last thing because we're talking about 99 is just like that that uh videotape that they're showing in malkovich about uh, the history of our weird little floor that has, you know, like a yeah. very low ceiling. And I was just like, you know, and I smoked pot back then. And I just <laughs> remember like it was just like a like a cheap thrill. It was exciting. It was yeah. like and yeah. and you know what? It's like these flourishes you will not find. I know in mm-hmm. a mainstream film. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, a totem of that. And this yeah. was absolutely another one. You I know, know, like it cuts to his dream sequence of being in an Italian sports car. It has that ending of like 16 millimeter, uh, like a day at work in Manhattan. Remember that at the very mm-hmm. end, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was my big takeaway uh, is just the, the stylistic uh, fun uh, to be had. And it's just, am I wrong? It just no, got you're so right. Out. It, got I do out think like it does seem like Little Miss Sunshine is what like happened? the, that does seem like the culprit. Like, because that movie always felt like people being like, um, like indie movies were like, filled with all this inventiveness and people right. wanting to be creative and right. low budget and wanting to emulate yep. the films that they loved. And Little right. Miss Sunshine always felt like, hmm, how can we make an indie movie? You yeah. Know, like it yeah. was committee. Yeah. felt so Also kind of Garden State too. Not to spend <laughs> yeah. the hour on this, but, all but, right, but, all but, right. but again, I'm, I'm lauding elections. We have a lot of Garden, another, fa- <laughs> Garden State fans. We do. Okay. Yeah. Wait, sorry. <laughs> no, no, but I'm, no, but we could, we could, we can move on, but I'm just saying like, that was one of my big takeaways with election, and pain has maintained that yes. kind of pleasant, surprising quality. Mm-hmm. Often, sure, I've seen in like about Schmidt, for example. Yeah. Sure, anyway, sure, that was all the stuff. The, the great freeze frames are so cool in this, and they, they use them a lot, and totally. and for They're different amazing. effects, like the comedic effects when they yeah, it's like eyes a are perfect like, half like closed. The first one, right. which is like, which I know bad. it's the perfect, perfect. Yeah like a hilarious freeze frame of her face in that. It's a really great touch. Yeah, th- this movie is littered with very fun, darkly funny and stylistically innovative, also kind of kitschy. Like it's got a lot of just yeah. amazing choices mm-hmm. going on, which we're going to get into. It's very but, playful. That's but before it is. But before we do, let's tag in our guest here for Christ's sake. Um, okay, so uh, David, you did an, a lot of prep for this show. <laughs> And you went back and you looked at the source material. So do you know the sort of genesis of like the novel versus the movie, how they came together, what's going on here? Um, As far as I know, the the novel was optioned before it got published. And so it was already in development before it hit bookstores. And I think by the time it was for sale, uh, I want to say that pain had already been in that um, not quite in pre-production, but was in that discussion, in that flow, especially with okay. all the buzz coming off of uh, Citizen Ruth. Right. Um, and uh, I had uh, made an effort to to skim through the novel uh, many, many years ago just to kind of get a sense if it was parsed out the same way because uh, Parada's approach is very much maintained in the, in the film where you get uh, multiple narrators. You know, every chapter is... Tracy Flick or Paul Metzler or, you know, Mr. M. And, uh, but what's really intriguing is that, you know, the structure of that uh, multiple narrator setup 
in the um, in the book, you don't even really learn about the affair that Tracy Flick has with that teacher, uh, uh-huh. who, interestingly enough, is the only character whose name is different in the movie versus the book. In the book, he's Jack, and in the movie, he's Dave, Dave Novotny, and yeah. such an amazing character. Dude. <laughs> I, I won't reiterate what his first line in the movie is. Can I? But um, it's a classic introduction to it, and it's not in the book that line. Oh, really? Oh, interesting, dude. Yeah. It is so amazing. Just real quick, put a pin in where, where you are for a second. So amazing. The her pussy gets so wet you can't believe it. Hard cut to f- foxy lady jam. You know, yeah, in, know. in the <laughs> basement, in the garage, in the garage, the or whatever. And and dude, what and and just real quick, we'll get right back to where you were. But man, that's what also makes this movie great. Aside from the stylistic flourishes, is the idea like a character like Dave and how he's so in tune with a guy like Dave. And I think being from Omaha, a place like that, you know, you meet people like this and you really understand the quirks and you know everything about someone that is like that. And that character is such an incredible performance by that actor. Love and it. and he's so amazing and like the fact that he's driving like a whatever like like a Mustang you know it, it just all all the choices they use to bring that character to, to life quickly is, build this character to quickly build him come is to life. perfect yeah. perfect perfect yeah. yeah David continue sorry oh uh, well so in light of uh, researching for this episode I wanted to really sit down and properly read carefully the book because uh, one thing that I didn't want to do is just come on the show to just do a bunch of comparisons between the book and the movie because right. obviously there are going to be differences. But right. this was an example where the more I thought about all the changes, which were uh, pretty significant, or the things that were specifically uh, unique to the film, I think it said a lot about both Payne as a director and then Payne and his co-writer Jim Taylor as uh, as screenwriters because they've worked together, I think, on four out of the eight films that uh, oh. that Payne has made. And, uh, and it's interesting, too, when you consider, we always think of Alexander Payne as a writer-director, but something like The Holdovers, the, the new film out now, he didn't write. You know, He was part of the genesis of coming up with the premise, but another screenwriter uh, took the reins. Wow. And, um, and you wouldn't know it from watching the film. It feels like Payne wrote this with Jim Taylor, or it has very much his DNA, or their DNA. But, um, I mean, uh, just to start off with an obvious one, the scene where uh, Jim McAllister comes in with the bee sting and Tracy offers him the pick flick cupcake. Well, in the book, he doesn't even get the bee sting. Yeah. And they they never even make reference in the book about any of the slogans. Uh, Pick flick is not mentioned as being on the uh, cupcake. Uh, Paul Metzler, you betzer, you know, (laughs) those great little details (laughs) in the universe of that school uh, were really from scratch, uh, which I found really astounding because you would think all these big ticket items uh, in the film that you remember uh, would easily be from the book. Um, and uh, and again, kind of thinking about the differences in the movie, uh, I think the movie is much more effective at uh, it being distilled to basically a rivalry between uh, Tracy and uh, Jim. Yeah. Um, when the book, actually, you could even make the case that the book's central character at times could be um, could be Tammy. Uh, and, yes. uh, and, and the way that Tammy, not that she's sidelined, but, you know, her somewhat abbreviated role once her third party interference kind of moves away in the second half of the story, um, mm. it, it really works for the movie. But in the book, it's very moving how, yeah. uh, how much more about Tammy's life you learn. 
Yeah, mm. and that's really interesting too because I listened to the commentary track that Alex Alexander Payne did on this movie uh, before we were recording tonight, and he was talking about how the character he was most uh, protective over, the character he was most uh, probably even the most invested in, was Tammy. That was the one to him that was almost the core of the movie in a lot of ways, and it's amazing. That, yeah. yeah, and and you know she was. You know, um, as an actress, like someone, I think he got a tape of her performance and just kind of, you know, fell in love with, you know, just her look and like, the, and like the braces and everything. And she's just a natural, you know, she'd only mm -hmm. done like, you know, maybe one small thing before this, but she's incredible. And like, um, and we'll talk a lot more about this as we go along, but, you know, there's so many obsessive, weird, esoteric details that Alexander Payne put throughout this whole entire movie that only he would notice or care about. Like, for uh -huh. example, when you meet, Tammy and she's like in bed sort of making out with that other woman the way Lisa. the cut yeah Lisa right when 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 we're introduced to that the way that those two cuts are with them in bed like the actual composition actually spells like the letter T it forms the letter T for Tammy you know oh, it's just like these really obsessive yeah, Kubrick cool over things. here it is it is it is and it's cool it's cool it's really yeah, cool right, I love it I love it yeah, I love so. Lisa's look. She looks like every. Like, I had about fifteen Lisas in my high school. Yeah, that, yeah. All had that exact. It's look. an archetype that is otherwise unseen. Yeah, but they're all over the are. place, and they're and they're dope. You know, I, and I love her speech. You know, um, Tammy's. It's interesting to hear that he really yeah. is on Team Tammy somewhat. Yeah, and like you're saying, David, it's like she does kind of. Uh, wrap up rather quickly in the mechanics of the plot and then just mm -hmm. gets a little sort of a punchline like uh mm -hmm. like wink oh what a punishment to go to an all-girls you know? <laughs> it's awesome and, which i'm fine with but it, but it really <laughs> yeah. i would have liked more and i feel like maybe yeah. if there was like a longer cut there would be more of her because yeah. it kind of feels like yeah. there's like i am mystified like like um yeah she is definitely a big time rebel in an otherwise very straight up boring super middle class family mm -hmm. you know her brother and the parents and she's a fucking rebel. And I, you know, I'd yeah. love to see more of her. And, and that is a clear archetype, too, of like where you see in the movie that they live in the housing development. You know, they're living in the McMansion sort of yeah. suburbs yeah. of Omaha, which is so true to my upbringing like that. Those mm -hmm. that area, those suburbs are so 100 percent right in the money. So and I think upper middle class because the dad owns a concrete factory. Right. 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 Yeah. Which also the creates kid, a rich kid. Totally, Paul. which also creates so that economic well. disparity between mm -hmm. Paul and Tammy and Tracy, you know, which mm -hmm. is a, which was I think was supposed to be a bigger part of the movie that they trimmed down on. Because yeah. Tammy, you know, like if I'm not getting this wrong, it's like uh, she's being raised by a single mother who's like kind of just making ends meet, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Like yeah. she's not; they're not doing great. Like, like right. they're kind of. Uh, on the border of like uh, you know the lower middle class. Almost. There's an alternate. There's an alternate ending that is, exists out there, and uh, you can watch right. it. We may we'll talk about it later compared nope. to, the, to the ending. But there's one detail where um, you actually go to Cam Tammy's house. You see it from the ex or Trace Tracy's house. Sorry, you see it from the exterior. Yeah, and it is like uh, just kind of a very modest. Like very yeah. modest, like a single car garage type home. You know, you yeah, tell them, yeah. and it looks like it's it's kind of a the the alternate cuts like so fuzzy and old, but it looks like it's in the, it looks like in the distance you can see the concrete factory. So it's like in the shadows of oh, that. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'll, I'll jump in and say that the, the wildest change uh, from the book to the, uh, to the film, I think is that the custodian who is very uh, oh, memorable as far as yeah. his uh, intense, passive aggressive anger towards Jim and seeing the Chinese. Stare. 
the deadpan stare and who uh <laughs> evan would know from the commentary was the actual custodian for the production yeah. offices yeah. when they were yeah. on location because yeah. i mean you can't get a better actor well, than that guy's face dude no <laughs> but, incredible like all they did is change out his glasses you know but that he's the guy who was in their film office as the janitor and that feels very eastbound and down i just want to give a little love <laughs> sure mark's sure, and I sure. are huge fans i'm sure, sure we all are yeah but that sure. feels like an eastbound kind of move you sure. know like just grabbing someone who's otherwise you know like uh doing some custodial work and just getting, <laughs> like get over here gold on camera yeah um, well the yeah. i mean but you'd be amazed to find out that in the, the there is a very complex thing in the book that if i went into it cold thinking how to adapt it you know, it's a testament again to Payne and Taylor that they knew to really slice it down. The custodian owns the house that Tracy and her mom rent. What? So they have a really close relationship. So in the book, oh. he's more invested in exposing. Mm. Yeah, that, that needed. That. It's a little too yeah. small universe for me. Not, yeah, Marcus hates that. Marcus <laughs> well, it, hates small worlds. And, and that's the thing in the book, because something about the nature of the book where that uh, kind of irritating thing that I also share with you, Marcus, uh, like it, it doesn't play as uh, as contrived because you really are kind of wrapped up in the almost paranoia of the confines yeah. of the school. But yeah. the, the almost literalism in, in many ways of what Payne does with visualizing uh, George Washington Carver High, uh, all that feels like it would just be uh, – you would be in disbelief. It would just mm -hmm. feel too convoluted. And yeah. it's so much funnier that he's just petty yeah and, and that's right. about yeah. and he's a mystery but he's just like yeah like very, oh. he's like i found my my moment to get back at the guy who tossed the chinese yeah. like just petty and vindictive so good and that's very again i hate to keep using the omaha word but that's probably very Oma, omaha oh, yeah you know like the edit is something. so great to help him in that moment too like totally it, it cuts to him last you know and it's yeah. like it just the joke lands perfectly it's, it's so killer. good and shout out to we'll, we'll talk more towards the end of the movie shout out to the kid who's passionately counting the votes by the way <laughs> oh i love him that yeah. performance is fucking off the charts that kid is get him an oscar is he a student i'm assuming is it i i think so i think so i'm not sure okay. Most of the people, I I want to say in the film, like you were talking about just getting the janitor in the movie from the, they're yeah. filming this movie, not in the summertime. They're not filming it on off hours. They're filming it during school hours where there's Whoa. other classes going. All the other classes are going on in the other rooms Whoa. while they're filming this movie. And, you know, they do have participation from the school. So a lot of the, all the extras you see are real students from the school you know, and it's incredible. So yeah, he's, yeah. and he, of course, Alexander Payne's got a great eye. So he's just picking out the yeah. best ones to have like the, like speaking roles, you know, and they're all sure. great. They're all doing My a favorite great job. Is, is his inside, or is, excuse me, is Flick's inside guy. I know. Who's like, you're good. You know, like, so like that it, right? kid, that kid was supposed to actually ha has a bigger storyline that they oh, cut from the movie. Because he's supposed to be, uh, he's, like, he's like the one helping her put up the signs and everything. Yeah, he's actually yeah. the one who's in love with her. And, of course, and, yeah. and that's the whole, they had a whole separate subplot that I got more cut. Yeah, I know. This, this, I could I see a three a hour. whole EU. Election <laughs> universe. <laughs> Election <laughs> universe. ECU. One question, one question I had about the, the difference between the uh -huh. book and the movie is like uh, in the article, uh, or you know the the scenario magazine i remember they talked about um how this is political satire duh right but right. that um 
you know, one th- uh, that the book it seemed like had more direct refer, like direct kind of allegorical, you know, leanings. Like like uh, Tammy, for instance, was more like evidently more Perot like, and like <laughs> Paul's more like clearly like a Reagan type figure. And I like that this oh. movie has those satir. You know, it's still very political, but they kind of removed yeah out those obvious, except you know, with the exception of just like the situation of it being an election and like a spoiler candidate. They remove those references, so it feels more timely, timeless. Sorry, timeless, and timeless yeah. than yeah, yeah. eternal. You know? Yeah, sure. So I, I didn't. Did that? Was that really part of the book, David? Like that? There's like you feel more of that direct references to what's going on in the politics at the time. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I'm glad you brought that aspect of it up because uh, there was another anecdote I wanted to share, and it really ties into that as mm. far as. You know, the book, of course, was authored closer to the start of the 90s. And so it uh, stands to reason that it was all very parallel to Clinton, Clinton. Bush, Perot. And all those things you just noted, I think, are there in the book. And even in the book, it's still very subtle because the book does still try to kind of live beyond just that window in the 90s in American politics. But the 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 really interesting thing about Paul, because I think, you know, shout out to Chris Klein, his first film. And and Chris Klein, who I really... I, I really believe Chris Klein, after watching this movie, you know, he had a, he had an incredible debut with this film. He was incredibly charming in the American Pie films, uh, which <laughs> I, I'd stand by. Um, but I think Rollerball, the John McTiernan Rollerball, oh. derailed him, and I think he could have had a uh, like a James Franco kind of like run. I got you. Yeah. So I mean, uh, just yeah. can we just can we clarify a little thing here? From what I'm understanding, is um, this was shot. Uh, like a, over a year before it was released, finally in '99, right? And because what you're saying is this is his first film, uh, and then that confuses me because I thought American Pie came out in tandem Mm-mm. with Election, you know, or even before. But this was shot like yeah, he at least was a year before. I think you're right, and and but yeah. Chris Chris Klein was a discovery. And now, what's interesting about you know Alexander, of of pains it, of pains uh, that and, is news to me because I thought he was yeah. just you know I thought oh he's hired for like this they were doing kind of a fun cute thing of like what if we no use a guy from American Pie and kind no, of no 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 he he uh, he discovered him at one of the schools wow. that they were tour like you know touring oh, to to, to to set the movie and they were looking like at Matt different Dillon. high schools well just like. Alexander Payne's new movie, um, you know, The Holdovers yeah. has an incredible leading performance by a total random guy they discovered. Spoiler. <laughs> sorry. But, uh, <laughs> no, but that's, but that's, you read that in all the press. Um, but anyway, so, um, but Chris Klein was just literally walked out of like the gym wow. of this that's high school. And, it, and then, and then uh, I think the person who was giving them the tour at the school is like, oh, uh, you know, Chris, you should meet. Alexander Payne, he's working on a movie, and because Chris, I guess, was like the breakout uh, star performer of their version of West Side Story, and uh, <laughs> okay. and so they thought it'd be good for him to meet a film director, and literally, he came and read for the role, wow. and Alexander Payne just said he fucking nailed it every time. He does, and he yeah. fucking <laughs> nailed it every time on set too. Like total confidence, he's no great. pressure he's of being great. in a movie, just killed it. And mm-hmm. example of that, like Exhibit A is the scene when he's giving his speech and it's all oh, one so long run, <laughs> run yeah, off sentence. Yeah. I know what it is to fight hard and win like when we almost went to state last fall and I threw the fourth quarter pass against Westside for the touchdown that won the game by three points. I won't let you down. Not run on sentence he's reading poorly. It's, no applause. 
amazing. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to stay on uh, Chris Klein for a moment. Just yeah, because sorry. With yeah. Paul, like I think, uh, I mean, you could of course do an hour on every character, but I know. I'm sorry. You know, Welcome to the clock. <laughs> Sucks. That burn. It's you know, Paul. Uh, Paul Metzler is such a great character in the film. He's a great character in the book, but you know, uh, I wanted to highlight three quick things. So, um, uh, first thing is that great moment where you know how tight this race is. And he's in that ballot box uh, or, or in the ballot in the booth. And before he puts the ballot away, he votes for Tracy. Yes. In right. the book, he puts none of the above. Oh. Because in the book, Paul is very different. Paul is like, you know what? If I can't win this without my own vote, I don't deserve to win. Because he is kind of like the, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, the, the uh, yeah, he's coming in with that sort of uh, machismo of a jock. Right, right. But I think Payne had the foresight, especially with a performer like Chris Klein and, and his right. newness. Right. That he's so sweet. It's yeah. very sweet. Because yeah, yeah. think about the fact that when he, I mean, you know, uh, that, that hilarious speech, it's a run on sentence and he literally has no idea, no ambitions at all as the president. But then he sees uh, uh, Jim at that like uh, Olive Garden or like Denny's. <laughs> and when he sits down, What's so touching about it, like the the second or third time you watch it, is that he starts to come up with ideas about, oh, we should do like this carnival. We should like have this dance. Yes. Like he's starting to invest himself for this one day he has, unbeknownst to him, of being a president. Yeah. And, and that's a sweetness that you don't really see mm -hmm. in the book. And then the last thing is the generosity of um, Payne's filmmaking and writing. You know, when they have to reveal to him that uh, actually the, the election was rigged, he's in Spanish class. And they give the slip to the teacher. And she's like, Senor Presidente. Yeah, I love that. He's like kind of shy. Yeah. And then she asks him, Senor Presidente? Quieren verte en la oficina? Huh? Asks him, oh, you're needed at the office in Spanish? And he's like, huh? What? Yeah. I mean, you don't even need a joke in that beat. But I know. He still gives yeah. you a joke. He's so good. Right. And, so good. And, and, and one last on the, uh, just as a good segue maybe to talk about Tracy a little more too is, yeah. Again, another thing that Alexander Payne just smartly corrected with the going from this the source material to the movie is that I think Tracy is much more sexualized in the book, and she's much more of like kind of a Lolita, for lack of a better term. Yeah. You mean that she's playing up her sed yes. seductiveness and flirtation? Okay. Yes, that's yes. not there. Yeah, the and 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 I, he yeah he felt that he wanted yeah. to uh, make her more more complex obviously play that down and almost play her like she is victimized by Dave, you know? Um, and, uh, mm -hmm. and I think that's interesting because when you first meet her um, in that scene at the pizza place and everything, like she is um, there, there is a sweet side of her that you do get to see. You do see another side of her. Yeah. And that's something that um, is from what I gather, not evident in the portrayal of that character. Does she get upset and tear up the posters in the book? That would be a David question. Uh, no, or I mean, <laughs> no. She, you know, she does tear up the posters, but she, uh, the instigation isn't that she trips and rips down her own poster. Exactly. Right. She just is full of rage and starts ripping mm, Paul's posters right. down. And in the book, Tammy doesn't even find the posters. Tammy but, claims that she did it just to get to Catholic school quicker. Right, but Love that's it. that's a big difference. That's what I, that's what I was getting. Yeah, at. It was like yeah. she's not. Because you're you're seeing a side of the character where she's just because um, when you're that kind of person, 
you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself and mm -hmm. you know it's like a steam you know pr a pressure cooker and she just lo loses it and we see a moment of i guess you'd call it a vulnerability on her part yeah where it's just like everything's not perfect the way i am planning on it to be and you see uh that she's failing everyone's failing in this you know at least yeah. our two principal people you know what i mean and, yeah and I, I appreciate that in the film that she's given dimension because she could be a very one-dimensional character if you don't play it right and, and they did yeah there's i got a good i pulled a good quote about what to evan to your point what you're saying about tracy's like sexuality and how it's presented sure. in the film and um mm -hmm. it's a quote from Payne from that scenario magazine he says what you see visiting high schools is that they're just kids they're not the beautiful vixen sex pots that you see in teen movies right that's completely fake right sure there are some oversexed kids in high school um prematurely precocious sexual students but really they're just kids yeah. And Tracy Flick is a kid. So yeah. I, I thought that was a cool perspective. Yeah, totally. Okay. And I also, <laughs> it just, it just speaks to like how, um, you know, Alexander Payne knows this world and knows these characters so well and how to, how to bring them to life, um, and, and make them very three dimensional and very like authentic. And uh, like hearing him in the commentary, talk about Matthew Broderick's character and, and coming up with Ooh. how he's going to look <laughs> and how he's going to feel. And it's like, you know, just hearing Alexander Payne talk about, yeah, I was watching TV one night and a show came on that took place in a high school. And, you know, everybody in the film, all the teachers in the film had per these perfect haircuts, you know, and I, I just realized I didn't want to have, you know, my, you know, uh, Mr. McAllister have a perfect haircut. You know, I wanted him to have an $8 haircut. You know, all, all teachers have bad haircuts. You know, and Dude, it's like, how about his car? <laughs> no, I know. To his, yeah, totally. Yeah. Dirty. But, like they found. Like I'm sure the director was like, find the smallest car. No, and you're possible. right. No, he also it's like a says rabbit or something. Yeah, he also says like you always see clean cars in any movie. The car, the cars are always right. clean because they're coming from oh. the rental place. Yeah, and so it's like just those little details go so filled far. with mcdonald's wrappers oh, yeah it's oh, yeah. great well you it's know to, to tom's point about the uh the uh, the hellscape post uh, little miss sunshine i think the <laughs> the thing about uh pain in general but you know uh looking at election it's interesting when a filmmaker who really knows his shit there's all these elements of realism that mm -hmm. uh, that uh commit you to that reality and yet the movie never loses a sense of its cinematic uh, vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Like it isn't trying to be gritty. It's just mm -hmm. trying to be truthful, like yep. realism versus truthfulness. Yeah. And I think yes. the realism is what people are going for post 2004 right. and five. Right. Cause this right. has, this has freeze frames. It has yep. superimpositions. It's got wipes. Yeah, yeah. It's got like a lot of sections where there's wipes, you know, in the in yeah. the cutting and no, stuff. And, and, you know? and, no, and there's music yeah. cues, you know, oh, like the, the banshee right. cry. Which Music is from Q. from Navajo Joe shout out is what mm. that's from. It's from Ennio Morricone, nineteen sixty six spaghetti yeah. western. Amazing, that's, that's great. The that's throat great singing. No, but I, th yeah. that's my big takeaway so far, David. Is um, it's a, it, when you just describe it on paper. That's such a glorious combination that that any real filmmaker would relish stewing in, which is a, a stylistic approach in a real world. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? You don't have to bog down. And everything's real because first of all it won't be real <laughs> right right you know? and also by the way what became stylized just to do more of my soapbox complaining is what <laughs> wound up being stylization is simply golden hour like like a teenage girl like skateboarding right. into a golden hour sunset oh yeah and that's it Le levi's and commercial done. 
Levi's commercial. Mm-hmm. The shit. fuck? Yeah. yeah. Beautiful losers. <laughs> or just per- performances that get so boiled down to realism that they just get kind of boring. Because this is still like, this yes. is like, like, like David saying this is truthful. Right. But the performances are heightened in this because it's a comedy, you know? But, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun, Beautiful. too. Super fun. So, um, just real quick, I thought I'd just open this up to you guys, too, is, um, you know, one of the other sort of obsessive details of this movie that um, Alexander Payne is putting into the visual language, the visual motifs, if you will, throughout this mm-hmm. whole idea, is that he's creating a lot of imagery with Matthew Broderick's character and constantly obsessing over circles, okay? So when you see him in the beginning of the film, he's running around in a track, you know, drawing the circles with the apples. There's so much hyper-focus on him basically like running around in circles, you know, spiraling, like he's wearing running ties. In place. That, yeah. Not running he, in place, but running in a circle, yeah. Yeah, no, but yeah, so he's got that. And going he's anywhere. Got, right, but he, yeah, and he's just spiraling. Like he has, he has a tie that is covered in circles, you know, he's, oh, it's, it's this okay. visual metaphor that, uh, that, that, that they keep, Every shot, you can notice it, even in the choreography of his movements when the camera's following him, mm. it's in a circle and all this kind of stuff. Whereas they juxtapose that with the visual language of Tracy's character and it's all straight lines, like harsh lines, like the mm. lines of the uh, uh, like of the chairs or the sticks of gum or like, you know, anything like that. Like she's very straight line and he's circled. Or the pens, you know. Yeah. Uh, right. That are for the uh, signing up, yeah, yeah, and it's just it's kind of a cool thing when he just keeps harping on it in the commentary. Yeah, yeah. And you really notice After it. You're like, Holy shit! I did notice in this time yeah. he's uh, just the gar the amount of times he's featured with garbage, you know, like well, trash cool. can got nice. outside, inside garbage yeah. trucks follow him twice down the street. You know, okay. he's, he's got trash in his car. He well, and his downfall is the garbage. Know, the no, and yeah. he he keeps saying that too. He's like. This movie, I obsessed hmm. over garbage being wow. in almost every shot. Like if any exterior mm-hmm. shot, it's always garbage day. There's always garbage trash cans <laughs> out in front of all the houses. You know, you see garbage trucks all the time, you know, driving on the street. And of course, like, you know, her throwing away the posters. That plays mm-hmm. a, a plot mechanic. Right. It's right. all At about the very garbage. beginning. She says, um, you know, none of this garbage. would have ever happened had Mr. McAllister not meddled the way he did. And at that moment, he's throwing a piece of garbage yep. into the trash can. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So it's <laughs> Omaha huge... garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just really cool. And one other funny yeah. thing, too, about Matthew Broderick, if we want to drill down on him, who's just fantastic yeah. in this movie. Oh. Something, I, something I couldn't fucking believe is uh, Alexander Payne said that he had, at the time of making the movie, all the way up until the present, had never and has still never seen Ferris Bueller. He'd never seen <laughs> what? it. Yeah. So he, so that's well, interesting. Had he seen anything by Matthew? The Freshman? I'm sure he's seen some things, but I, but he but didn't see, that. he didn't Project see that. Project X. He was really big yeah. into Project oh X. Project and, X. No, but I think that's uh-huh. interesting because I think, yeah, I yeah. wonder if it would have changed the decision to go with him in this right. movie, if that had colored it in a different way by seeing I just, that movie. I want to give a shout out to Matthew because he's one of the brighter spots in the cable guy. I think he's oh, underrated. Right. <laughs> His nineties work. We should do is, that sometimes. Is, is great. He, Huh? Yeah. We should do that sometime. The cable. I guy. would do it. I would do that. <laughs> I should. That'd do be that. like a something guilty pleasures. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Um, no, but I always he's very welcome when I see him on the screen. You know, because mm-hmm. um, he just uh, he's un, he's underutilized. I think still. You know, he got had a big thing with the producers, but uh, yeah, we, we need more Matthew Broderick. I know. I know. Shout out to his dad in Dog Day Afternoon. I don't think I realized that he was a nepo baby until <laughs> until we were talking what about his it? dad and um. 
Dog Day Afternoon. His dad, Matthew Broderick's dad, was an actor too, and he's who, in who is Dog he? Day. Afternoon. Yeah, who is he? Uh, John Broderick. Well, I, I who is he remember. in the movie? But David, help me out. Film? I don't remember. He's like a know. cop or something. He's one of the cops. <laughs> oh, I'll be He's darned. Okay. okay. Well, right, shout, shout out to, to his wife, Tom. Shout out to his wife. James Broderick. James Broderick. Um, oh. Oh, wow. oh weird, okay. Right? Yeah, okay. he's, he's, it's okay. all coming together now. The ice um, cold no uh, G-Man. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow, that's okay. Right. Well, anyway, yeah, Matthew. Uh, you know, but, one thing, just uh, wait, David. To, to, to hear that they didn't have the bee sting yeah. um, in the novel is surprising. But then again, that is something that really pops on film in, in a cinematic way mm. because like he looks inherently well, like you see his it's like a wound like he's yeah. in bad shape right it's a then, great call and you just there's a visualization mm-hmm. of his wound and it's impossible to miss and it's something that gets worse and festers so that was masterful to choose yeah. to do that i guess great on, choice uh, it's festering uh, inside and like something right. that's motivating him to like Get be pushed to the and edge, and it's twitchy. Too. It's like, yeah, you know. <laughs> well, it's you know, the, the bee sting is one of those things where it's so uh, it's so wafer thin how you can make it really lame. Because if someone goes into it as a, as a filmmaker and they want to uh, make it like a physical manifestation of the rot inside, then right. you know, you can sniff it out as a, as a viewer. Yes. What I love about pain is that. Uh, uh, and I think it's mentioned in the commentary, like it was initially something that he and his writer, co-writer thought of as a joke, like, hey, what if he just gets stung by a bee when he's looking around for her? Okay. But um, he he constantly is able to undercut moments of self-seriousness in a way that a really yeah. good satirist can, you know, because you, you need a lot of confidence to undercut moments of like real cinematic uh, propulsion. Like when, uh, you know, I'm also, I mean, the freeze frames we've mentioned before, but I was even thinking that really great slam cut to, uh, you know, Broderick's uh, watching the porn in his basement. Oh. He's drinking the Pepsi. He's thinking about what Tracy said about Coke. Right. He's looking at the football player in the porn video and he's like, Paul. And then you just cut to this ridiculous stock footage of a skier falling. I know, it's great. <laughs> and, and then that's a freeze frame too. And like, yeah. you know, Arrow Paul. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. so silly, but mm-hmm. it, it's a confident it's silly. So fun. You're right. Yeah, totally. And and one thing about the bee sting too that's interesting, and this is a segue to maybe Evan's favorite character in the movie or one of, is 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 Linda, is uh, his friend's oh, wife. You're big, who, you're team Linda. Huh? I am a big Linda yeah. fan in she's this movie. A, she's a mystery. Yeah. So, cr- yeah, crazy look, crazy, just amazing <laughs> um, in this. But it, it's, it's cool because... Um, when you're seeing <clears throat> Matthew Broderick with his wife, you know, when they're trying to get pregnant and all those insane no. sequences, their <laughs> their um their house is very is 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 portrayed very sterile and sort of like, you know, white walled, boring. And then you look at Linda's house and and Alexander Payne calls it, you know, she's she represents or she has like, you know, fecundity, you know, around her where there's plants growing and it's more fertile right. and there's There's a baby. You know, yeah. And mm-hmm. but yeah, and you see you see life and flowers and plants like okay. everywhere. Interesting. And then when you when he is um about to meet her at the hotel and he goes to the back right before he gets stung by the bee. You know, you also see these shots of apples in the tree, again, going back to the circles and everything. And then it's kind of like a temptation metaphor, you know, the sort of eating of the apple. And they actually did some early CGI stuff with where where you see bees flying in front of the 
the apples, and that's another kind of birds and the mm. bees. There's there's bird sounds and bee sounds. Right, gotcha. So I mean, he's well, just he's in really... the Garden of Eden. He's exactly. in his own weird yes. backyard Omaha yes. Garden of Eden. Yes, you know? <laughs> yes. And, and of course, it comes to just immediately bite him in the ass. You know? Yes, in his eyes. Really stung. Yeah, yeah. And wow. A, yeah, and the fucking montage too of him setting up the fucking hotel room is just f- fantastic. Yeah, as uh, <laughs> Marcus indirectly referenced earlier, that's, no, it's, uh, it's that's so powerful good. shit. No, like it's, and, and, it's the Rocky training montage of this movie. <laughs> right, right. It oh, is the cheap chocolate. You know? Yeah, the it, shopping of Walgreens really, for the Walgreens yeah. chocolate. Yeah, like I said in that scenario magazine, they really get into the ass washing moment, and so that's a big, big moment for me in the movie. But one thing they said was. Uh, it's all it all it's all based on a red fox routine. <laughs> he had a he had a oh. joke called "You've got to wash your ass." So no, before you got an entire di- album, oh an album, where in the title <laughs> boldly on the cover was "You got to wash your ass." <laughs> and he's next to a donkey. So just, amazing. This is when Evan go. cuts laugh, to that laugh. Oh records. yeah, right. well I was. This is where Evan makes that the cold open. Um, there you go. The uh, <laughs> no, but yeah. No. So what? What are you saying? Like that? Uh, Payne and Jim. Uh, that's what. It's, that's what the idea. That was the genesis of that really? idea. It was Ouch. like before you go. I on love a date, those you guys. Wash your ass. Well, you know what he <laughs> said too. He said um, Alexander Payne also said about the. I, I see it kind of as like ass and taint washing personally, but. Um, sure. that, he, that he said that, sure. that that he's gotten a lot of comments and a lot of feedback from people uh, specifically about that scene and how true that scene rings. And right. I and I, I love that it, it lasts a, a beat longer than you would expect. <laughs> you know, and and, and there, well, and also it, there's, uh, Broderick has a lot of commitment to that moment. He does. <laughs> I know. Oh. Fur- furtive? That's not, yeah. not furtive. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, he's well, he's fran- he's frantic and frazzled. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he's getting fervor. really spun out. He's got fervor. And that's kind of the peak of his yeah. frazzled, spun out moment. Yeah. It's there. That's, it's that's his moment. Great. It's a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh my God. Um. David, what else you got for us? Uh. Well, I was also thinking. Uh. Th- there's two big uh, epiphanies I had when I was really thinking about the book, thinking about the movie. Uh, the, the first of which is something that I do think was part of the design of how Tracy and Jim are kind of rivals throughout the film. And then the, the other thing I'll, I'll mention uh, shortly before we run out of time, but <laughs> I, one thing I haven't really, and I even went back and read some reviews, uh, you know, when the movie came out. I mean, that's the thing about this movie. It's always been liked. It's always been held in high esteem. Mm-hmm. And I think people mostly get it. But I think there is an ease by which you can watch this. It goes down so easy. It's just so smooth. So it flows so well. And so I think one of the issues with movies like this is uh, not the issue of the film, but that I think so many interesting details do get overlooked. Uh, I, you know, maybe I'll, I'll uh, I think on the shining episode, I think Marcus referenced uh, Rob Ager. Um, but I, I would take like kind of the Rob Ager approach, not like a conspiracy theory. But one thing I haven't seen people mention as far as of all the relationships in the film, I haven't really seen people make the comparison that Jim is a version of Tracy that lost her or his mojo. Because I think people get the sense that he's jealous of her. Yeah. But, you know, the the thing that really opened up this time is the, the character that Evan was uh, uh, citing, the guy who's the counter for the votes and who's oh, like you know mm-hmm. basically mvp a yeah, he's like an ally of tracy's yeah and he you know he's a do-gooder 
And, you know, there's this thing that even Alexander Payne said that he always saw that character as like what Jim was before he became a teacher, before he got jaded. And then I'm kind of thinking about that wavelength and how there's an argument to be made that the reason why there's so much conflict between uh, Jim and Tracy, and it's all very subtextual, is that Tracy innately doesn't like Jim because she fears becoming like Jim. She even explicitly has that montage of him doing all the three branches of government and how lame that is. Yes. And of course, (laughs) you know, the last time we see her in the movie, she's like with a senator. I know. Um, But with Jim, he hates Tracy because, you know, he's at a point now, he's at a point of no return. And so obviously he's going to suss out the person who has the most potential. Mm Because Tracy doesn't really have potential in the book. She's ambitious, but she's not maybe as committed as she's depicted by like Reese Witherspoon. I like think that's just that's, invariably raising her hand like that, that yes, that that's different. characterization's not so much in the book. Over right. mm. achiever. She's more arrogant. I think everyone in the book, including Paul, like they're more, and even uh, Jim McAllister there, those characters are all more arrogant in the book. And the, and the, and this leads into the second point as far as I think, you know, Payne's entire filmography, it occurs to me, his characters are blissfully unaware. Like there's a lack of self consciousness with his characters in every film of his that I think is one of his uh, secret sauce things Hmm. that they're so oblivious that whether their narration is like the unreliable narrator, not because they're trying to mislead the audience, they don't even know what's going on in their own head. Right. Sure. And I think, uh, you know, uh, Tracy doesn't want the awareness of the fact that she could easily end up like Jim if she got knocked up, if she didn't go to college or, you know, was in fact affected by her uh, economic status. Right. So all these, you know, things mm-hmm. I think really color it in a very deep way if you're only looking at that part of it on a second or a third yeah. watch. Gotcha. That's really interesting in terms of like class too, because they, they, they are both from the same like class, you know, the competition between them mm-hmm. can be seen in terms of like a class mm-hmm. thing too. Like they're both from the same economic stratus, right? The teacher and Tracy, but she's going to rise up. And so he's like ready to pull her back down because he doesn't want, you know, someone, you don't want someone jumping up to a higher class if you weren't able to, you know, so he pulled them back. Well, he's, down. he's bitter and kind yeah. of numb, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, in this routine. Actually, bored. this leads to yeah. me, I'd like to talk about the ending a little bit. Let's just maybe stick with the, the legit you know, final true ending of the film sure. for a moment. Like yeah. uh, just one observation I always have when I watch it is it reminds me almost of the ending of the omen. <laughs> uh, just, just to refresh your memory is, you know, uh, it's like the parents die, the, the, you know, his um, adoptive parents die. Yeah. And then he's taken in by like the president of the United States. And the last time you see Damien, he's like smiling and he's being welcomed to the white house you know oh I mean? yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's why that's I'm referring to it. Right. So what I'm saying is, it's almost like you know, uh, the film and uh, the Broderick character are seeing like this evil thing mm-hmm. is now like uh, rising in the ranks, you know, to <laughs> for her nefarious, uh, you know, deeds, and she's going to get higher and higher. Maybe she'll be president, flick, you know, in a few yeah. years, you know, overly yeah. ambitious. It's kind of a the fever dream people have about like Hillary Clinton and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. like you know the. Uh, overachieving ambition over everything uh, and being female. threatened by that and the ma- and the male exactly. being threatened by exactly. that which is mm-hmm. a very of its time you know i think for this exactly. movie that's very of its time um well it's funny he accuses her of being so evil but he's just completely depraved in all of his well, you know behavior too and totally just that, that central question that he asked at the beginning of the movie what's the difference between moral and ethics just gonna say that what's the difference between morals and ethics anyway I was just going to say that that is a huge overarching 
theme throughout the whole movie. I mean, that is it, right? And that's a huge parallel, I think, to what they're trying to also say metaphorically about politics is, you know, this idea of the hypocrisy of, you know, ethics and morals and everything. Because the actions, you know, he's teaching the ethics and morals and then what he's doing behind the scenes right. with Linda and everything. And then well, everybody you know, it's, cheating it's, it's, and, you know, yeah. So often, um, you know, there's like sleazy po politics, but then there's I, what I think is even more nefarious is... Um, people finding ways to justify their behavior for for a greater good sure so it's you know what i mean uh sure. so i think that i think he's one of those kind of people somewhat where it's like uh if i don't get in the way of a monster like her like i have in my midst one of these monster people who are going to be so power hungry that they're going to rule the day and have no scruples themselves so i am fighting the good fight if I cut some corners and trip them on their way up the ladder, yeah. you know, and so there's a lot of rationalization and justification right. behavior right. because it's because uh, it's um, it's fitting their narrative. And like you're saying, he's he's um, highly self, self not self-aware, you know, um, and yeah. so he's going to wind up, you know, doing all these things that, uh, you know, that he could explain to himself. But but one thing I wanted to talk about the ending, though, was. Is it a happy ending, more or less, for the Broderick character? Because I feel it is, because at least he's changed, mm -hmm. and I don't think he's running in a circle quite. What do you guys think? I think that the director thinks it is, at least, because that's why there is an alternate ending. It's because the original ending didn't test well with audiences, so they were uh -huh. in the studio. Oh. MTV said, here, you know, if you could make another ending, what would it be? Go, please go make one. You know, make a right. happier ending. You know, right. So I think they set out to make a happy their version of what a their happy version could of be. that a compromise. Well, yeah. What do you think? Like, do you think that um, he's breaking this? Like uh, this extreme situation happened where he his life was forced to be changed, and do you yeah. think that's ultimately a good thing for him? Or the pattern could repeat. Who knows? You know. Well, that's the thing. Well, it's hinted yeah. at because he's like at peace by seeing her. Yeah, and then like, he's triggered. There she is. That's okay. That goddamn yeah. motherfucker. And he like yeah. throws the, yeah. the drink at her. You know, and it's darkly so that, comic. So that's true. Yeah. He is probably going to fall back on his yeah. uh, patterns. He's got a big he's chip. Not a thing. Yeah. Because he yeah. sees that girl raising her hand, and it yeah. triggers him again. Yeah, it's all yeah. happening again. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, I, I would. Happening. I, well, I would expand that, uh, the, you know, the, the point you're making, Tom, which is if you think about everyone's coda in the final few minutes, the only one who seems to be truly happy, like who ends on a genuinely happy note is Tammy. Yep. Yep. Because Paul right. even is sort of like, well, I don't know, you know, like yeah. Lisa left me and yeah. I got to do my dad's cement, you know, business. Yeah. And, um, you know, yeah. you, you get the sense that uh, Jim isn't wrong that Tracy probably is going to be miserable right. in her success. Right. Uh, because she's always yeah. going to be stressed out and she's like right. yelling at a bunch of people in the dorm and and um <laughs> that. and also Thank tammy is that. tammy's the most real like she's keeping it the tammy's most in real. love like it's the only love she, like like she's so authentic you know she's 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 being mm -hmm. honest throughout the whole film and mm -hmm. i think that gives her a lot of power well, there's the a little wink too. for her too though she's like and we're we're gonna be together forever like her <laughs> and jennifer you know like <laughs> i love right. that right right i love that um, and also we should shout out Reese Witherspoon too, because it is, it is kind of like when yeah. you go back and you watch this now, it's like, uh, it, well, you just imagine you've seen many performances of hers like this, mm -hmm. but up Legally until that blonde. point, well, I was yeah. about to say up until that point you hadn't because before that she had sort of been in, you know, cruel intentions. She had been in fucking, uh, what's that man uh, in the moon? She, well, no, no, no. She had been in freeway, you know, she had been in these 
kind of like weird, creepy thriller yes. performances. I love know? her in that with uh, Marky Mark, right? Marky Mark. Fear, fear, yeah. yes. Fear's fear. great. So she's, she's more like Cruel Intentions, fear. And yeah, this no, really I gave her you. the opportunity to really. It was a juicy role for her to yeah. be comedic. She came out yeah. of the gate really strong, like in Man in the Moon when she was like 12 or whatever, which she yeah. was a, amazing, a really great performance. Not Man, Man on the Moon, the moon which Man is another, which is the worst My movie of the film. <laughs> that, that, uh, yeah, that, I think that her, that debut of hers, that was, uh, what was it, uh, Mulligan, the, the director brother of the guy from Empty Nest, Richard Mulligan mm, or Robert Mulligan. Like that Robert that was his last film. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. I, I've never heard of this. Like Man in the Moon. So she's good. Yes, she is. Yeah. But yeah, so just it's, it's just really cool to see, you know, that this this yeah. gave her that chance to really do that, and you see that in this movie. Um, I, I did want to very quickly say please. that another uh, take us home very wild wild theory uh, about Alexander Payne, and I, I encourage people to think about it because it's very lo- it's a lofty claim, but there's a kind of a religious aspect, I think, to even the title election, which I don't think is intentional. This is me reading into it. But when you think about election in Judeo-Christian terms, as far as the those who are elect for certain positions for like those God's elect, God's chosen. And what I find really interesting is that the entitlement that he addresses, which I think often can be Often too simplified to like, oh, straight white males feel like they're entitled. But in truth, you know, anybody can feel entitled within their own subgroup, mm-hmm. within their own community. Yep. And I think that's definitely true in election. There's a, mm-hmm. with the exception of Tammy, everyone feels like they're owed something. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, there's this aspect too of, uh, I mean, there's a great montage where everyone's praying, I believe, like the night before the yeah, election. Yeah, I love that. That's and a great it, shot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and exactly, like uh, overhead and thirty seconds. If you for for the listeners, if you're rewatching even just that particular scene, it's incredible how everyone's narration prayer sums up their character and sums right. up so many themes of the film. Right. Yes, really on the nose, but doesn't feel like it. It does. It's yeah. really, really yeah. well done. Mm-hmm. This is a, a a phenomenal script. Like hats off. It's a phenomenal script that yeah. where everything works, every, and it doesn't feel like it's overly you know tight and rigid. It, it it's just it, but everything no. fits into place perfectly. It looks easy. It flows. Boom. All right. There you go. <laughs> Uh, <coughs> congratulations election blues <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah oh my god those hours can be brutal i think there was a lot left on the table there I, yeah but we did a know, good job we did we did but i mean uh, yeah it's coverage totally but you know it's it's, it's 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 a really great film from a very fascinating year um yeah. as we're covering 99 um and yeah and of course as we mentioned at the top of the show um, we should say, of course, go out and see Alexander Payne's new new flick, man. His new flick. Pick his new flick, uh, which is um, uh, what the hell is it called? Uh, holdovers. 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 I mean, uh, and, yeah. and again, uh, with respect to spoilers, uh, another movie about a teacher and a student. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It has that. It has that in common. But yeah, I was telling Tom this. You know, it's not a spoiler, Tom. Don't worry, or anybody listening. But uh, Dave and I had a chance to see the movie. Uh, I think last week or whatever, and uh, it just you know, this is a warm blanky Christmas movie, but um, so go in knowing that, and you, you will have a great time. And hey, in in twenty twenty three, it's really tough to see a movie that actually has a script, you know, like an actual <laughs> script, incredible. you know. And uh, I know this We're is so the, malnourished. We are. That, We're uh, so you know. malnourished. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, yeah. It's not cheating to just say this about pain outside of election, but I mean, it's one of those uh, examples where he's clearly an auteur. Yeah. 
His career now has lasted for almost 30 years. He's only made eight films, which is an interesting, you know, yeah. like he, he takes his time with every single film. And I think it's a, a testament to an auteur who hasn't gone wild. Yeah. Yeah. Like in no, many ways no, he no. hasn't really changed, but not in a, like the, yeah. the craziest film he's made stylistically is downsizing, which is the one before yeah. holdovers. Yeah, right. And and that's an interesting failure. I, I actually like quite a bit of it, but um, it's just a real testament to an auteur of that generation yeah. who hasn't lost his mind. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't do what, you know, we call those magnolias. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. doesn't have a magnolia. He never magnolia. Which he yeah. could have, after sideways, he could have easily done. Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. he, totally. He really has doubled down with every single film, again, with the exception of downsizing. But even then, he, he blew like $65 million of Paramount's money on a really like, you know, 70s style, like yeah. uh, everything you wanted to know about sex kind right. of romp. Right. Right, right. So anyway, check out Holdovers. It is one fucking hour certified, at least for me uh, and David. So you should definitely go check it out. It's, a, it's, it's, it's nice to see something. Wouldn't it be funny that's... if I hated it? I you like... might. You might. You might. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. <laughs> I, I, Spoiler. No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right. <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, um, we didn't really talk about What's which... next week? We didn't really talk about what film is next week. So Tom, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you on the spot. And you know, you know what the two Ooh. options are, right? Do you, you remember what the two options were? options is the this how we're playing it well we discussed get, uh, two bullets in the chamber here yes <laughs> we discussed uh, which two uh, yeah i do i okay. do yes so i'm gonna put it, it i'm gonna put it to you to tell us right now live on the air which of those two movies you want to do next week which one is it going to be okay and it's i don't simple. know simple i i mentioned it earlier uh, being john malkovich okay that's what i thought all right so let's just keep the train a rolling here okay you know? <laughs> okay all right so next week uh everybody get your rewatch in because i'm sure you've already seen it but we're going to be getting into because we're we're, we're we're keeping this tr this 1999 train rolling we're going to keep going let's talk about another interesting film from from 1999 and tom what's one fucking hour and being john malkovich going to look like for us oh uh well, uh, you know, there's uh, there's some real magic here. Like, there's a lot of meeting of exciting people. You know, like Spike Jones. You yeah. know, like off skateboard videos and music videos. Yeah. You know, he he brings his talent and his his unique approach to feature film. Boom. That's inherently, you know, like I want to see that. I'm curious. But then there's this crazy guy with this you know script that looks impossible. You know, this guy who wrote for like the Dana Carvey show, you know, <laughs> yeah, you've got yeah. Charlie Kaufman and they come together, Yeah, you know, and they got Hollywood money and uh, it's, it's a high, high concept. You know, we we're talking tonight about stylistic flourishes and, and yeah. interesting scripts, but this is like, uh, the script is a flourish itself, you know, it's yeah. fanciful and um, yeah. I'm always blown away by it. Yeah. Uh, and it's also very funny and it's, uh, it's, it's just more of what I was saying earlier, which is like. It keeps me on my toes. I'm not, I don't get bored because I don't think, for me, the worst is like just realizing the mechanics of like, oh, here comes the third act and, oh, we're going to see this character again. This is going to be our new character, isn't it? Not just someone, yeah. you know, asking for a cigarette, <laughs> yeah. you know, just like, yeah. fuck you, die, you know, die. And yeah. this film is just like, I don't know what is going on. Right. And, um, but also as emotionality. Yeah. You know, it ends on this like high, strange emotional note. Yep, and uh, and and another fun guy around the same age uh, doing a role, John Cusack, kind of an yeah. '80s boy. Yep, like taking on this meaty role of yeah. quirkiness. True, That's true. Great. All right, so we're gonna need five minutes to talk about Cameron Diaz's wig. I think. 
Okay, sure. Oh, Tom, you're muted. But uh, I was just going to say it is. Am I on? Yeah. Hello, hello, hello. It, it is funny to think there's the Keanu, then Broderick, and uh, Cusack. <laughs> uh, so whatever the fourth movie is, uh, hopefully oh, yeah. it's some uh, We got one. The- there's one in there. There's definitely one uh, in there. There's Is there? Okay. Oh, there is. Yeah. Okay. He had some okay. roles in the Good 80s. One. He might not have been big. No, but it's yeah, it's eighties, eighties boy. The boys yeah. in the eighties. Yeah, uh, yeah, coming to roost. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, everybody, get your get your pre watch in one fucking hour on being John Malkovich next week. Of course, next week is Thanksgiving, so we have we do have to talk about when we're going to schedule and when we are going to film and tape that episode. Yeah. So, it might be a little off schedule. We don't know yet. But and when we'll get can back people to you. even watch it? Because they've yeah. got stuff going. On. Yeah, but, right. but there's there's no there's no, there's no special episode about Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, David. There won't be. Guys, uh, go have have go have wild a feast. Yeah, go wild. <laughs> go wild. David solo yeah. show. Yeah. Patreon episode. <laughs> yeah, how about show. you alone, David? Talking to Talk yourself for an hour about Thanksgiving. On, I would. I'd release that if anyone wants to see that. I'd release that. Um, yeah. All right. Like an right, Andy Warhol experience. <laughs> People should vote. I'll do it. Okay. Let okay. us know in the okay. comments if you want to see David Chen solo show. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll solo. Yeah. For. Yeah. Yeah, two hours. Yeah, <laughs> uh, twenty-four hours. Twenty-four hours. Yeah. Um, twenty-four okay. hours. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, 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 there you go. Um, all right, everybody. Give me day marathon. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Exactly. Perfect. All right. Uh, before we got here, one last shout out to the Patreon. Patreon.com slash one fucking hour. Uh, sign up there if you want to check out our bonus episodes or perhaps David Chen's 24-hour marathon on the Thanksgiving <laughs> on movie. Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. Only alone. live at the Patreon. So if you want to see that, patreon.com slash one fucking hour or if you want to hear any of our feature-length audio commentaries. Actually, if you want to hear it, you have to give up 10 grand. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it don't come easy. Right? Yeah. I won't see a penny of it, though. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no of course no, not. Of course not. Donation does. No, of course. That's straight in our pockets. But if you want to see that, uh, or if you want to see any of the bonus material, <laughs> oh, bonus no. episodes that we've made or produced, check it out on patreon.com slash one fucking hour. And uh, yeah, guys, we appreciate your support. Of course, if yeah. you're watching this on YouTube and you want to sign up, you'd rather watch the bonus content on YouTube, just click the join button under this video. Same price, same perks, same bullshit. Um, all right, everybody. We'll um, have well, a- let's 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 uh, you know let's uh, talk about how fun it was to have David oh. Chen on an official you, one fucking hour. Thanks, guys. Great to have mm, you. Mm, You're mm. smarter than all of us combined. So yes. that's, that's always frightening. It's a little scary. Yeah. yeah. Whenever we get a smart guest, it's like, oh, Christ. He, yeah, he's like the Tracy of the show. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. got cupcakes next time. Yeah. You have to tone that smartness down a little bit. Yeah, you got to just so curb that a little bit. I know. He's like a or smart guy on the show. Maybe you get some machine jokes next yeah. time. <laughs> all, right. All, right. All, right. all right, everybody. Well, David, we can't leave you uh, without your what? Oh, Moment? Moment. Uh, <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll see you uh, for being John Malkovich. All right, take care. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye, everyone. When uh, Matthew Broderick is busted from having thrown the election in election, he enters the principal's office and sees right. all the people gathered there who know he's guilty. Mr. McAllister, I hope you can help us clear something up. He wanted to cut it like the, the end sequence of the good and the bad and the ugly with holding on the faces for a really long time. And um, I was like, no, let's let's cut it really fast and build to a climax. And I didn't want to do that. I thought it was cheesy and would call too much attention to itself. He just wouldn't want to do it. He wouldn't want to put it in the movie like that. So finally I said, I'll pay you $25. And I said, no, let's not do that. I go, okay, 50 And I said, 75 
He even gave me an invoice, and it says I owe that I owe him seventy-five dollars. So I paid him seventy-five dollars to cut it in. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. That was wicked, man.